We are going to be in John chapter 15 this morning as we continue in our series on the I Am statements from the book of John. So if you've got a Bible, go over to John 15. This is I Am the True Vine. That's the passage we're going to be studying this morning. So before we begin, let's read from John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, when I uh, first read this passage this week, of course, I started thinking about plants and horticulture. And some of you, as you read this, this passage immediately resonates with you because you are a horticultural genius, right? Uh, You are the type of person that when you plant things, they grow and they bear fruit and they flower like they are supposed to. You put those seeds in your garden and just the love that you feel in your heart toward that plant uh, somehow moves into the plant and causes it to do what it ought to do. You love it so much. That is you. I actually, several years ago, was at a friend's house And uh, as we were talking with this friend, we looked at uh, her deck in her backyard and there was a vine under the deck and they were growing several watermelons like underneath the deck in their backyard. And uh, so we said, my wife and I said, what's the deal here with the vines and the watermelons kind of under here? And she said, wow, it's amazing. My son was back here and he was eating a watermelon and he spit the seeds into the ground and it grew a vine that turned into watermelons. And I thought, that is a guy good with plants, right? He just walks around and like spits stuff on the ground and it grows into enormous watermelons. Some of you are like that. I am not at all. When I buy plants at the store, all of the other plants send their family condolence cards, right? Because they know that the plant is gonna die. Uh, I have killed so many plants and plants can die for so many different reasons. Uh, If you're not like me, you may not realize this. Plants can die because they're too hot or too cold, too much sun, not enough sun, too much water, not enough water. They can get diseases. They can get bugs. They can be eaten by animals. I have had plants die for all of those reasons and probably more. And so when I first came across John 15, I felt this apprehension that I was not going to understand or relate to this passage. But as I read it and as I studied, the, studied it this week, I thought it actually might be more poignant that I don't really understand plants. And here's why. 
Because as you look at the analogy, we are not the one who takes care of the plants. Right? As you look at this analogy, Jesus says, I am the vine. In other words, Jesus is the center of that plant. Think about the imagery of a grapevine in a vineyard. And Jesus says, I'm the center of that plant. It is through me that all of the branches are going to bear fruit. He is the source of life in that plant. The father is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser is the one who is responsible to make sure that the conditions are right for the plant to bear fruit. So the vine dresser will get rid of the deadwood. The vine dresser will prune the vine and the branches on the vine. That's the father's role. So you and I are not responsible in this analogy to make the plant grow. And wow, what a relief that was to me as I read this passage. And then as you keep reading, here's what you find. Our role is that we are branches. All right, what does the branch do? Well, all the branch does is attach to the vine and stay there, right? That's it. The branch has one job, and that is, here's the vine. I'm just going to stick with it, right? Stick onto the vine and allow the vine to do its work to produce fruit. That is you and me, right? You, you and I are the branches of of the vine. And the idea here is this that Jesus is saying the only way to bear fruit that is pleasing to God is to be attached, connected to Jesus. In fact, to abide, Jesus will say, to stay attached to Jesus. Because the purpose of a branch, of course, is to bear fruit, right? That's what the vine is ultimately supposed to do. In our lives, you, you, you ask, what is the fruit, right? As we read this passage, that's the immediate question that comes to mind. What is the fruit? Well, as Jesus talks about it, the fruit can be described as those actions and attitudes and words that reflect the character of the vine dresser, that reflect the character of the Father, so that those who see those branches and all of the fruit on those branches look at it and they go, that must be a great vine. But not only that, they must have a great vine dresser, right? The idea is that the fruit that we bear, Jesus will say, glorifies the Father. It allows people to see how great God is when our words, our actions, our attitudes, when our lives reflect his character. All right, so what does that fruit look like? Well, as you read through the New Testament, of course, the imagery of fruit is used over and over and over again, probably most famously in Galatians chapter 5, the passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Right, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So here's what Paul seems to be saying, is that men and women who are bearing the fruit that God wants us to bear will evidence these traits. Now imagine if in the body of Christ, we consistently reflected love in a world filled with hate, joy in a world filled with grief and sadness, right? Peace in a world filled with conflict, patience in an impatient culture, kindness and goodness, faithfulness in a world that easily gives up on commitments, gentleness and self-control. And the idea is as we display this fruit in our lives, men and women can be drawn to Jesus 
and see his character and thus know the Father. In a nutshell, that's what Jesus is describing in John chapter 15. Now, in Jesus' day, in the first century uh, in Israel, everybody wanted to please God, right? In first century Israel, they believed that they were God's chosen people, and in fact, they were. And so they understood that this purpose of their lives was, in fact, to bear fruit. And we'll talk about how in the Old Testament, Israel, in fact, is referred to a vine that is supposed to bear fruit that would draw all the nations to come and worship Yahweh. But here was the problem. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day tried to bear fruit without being attached to the vine. They tried to be their own vine that would bear fruit all by themselves. And the way they did that was by keeping the law and not just keeping the law, but in fact, coming up with a set of commands where they could say, I keep the law. This is what the Pharisees would do. I keep the law better than you keep the law so that their spirituality was a sort of comparison game. And they would say, as long as I can do better than you, then I am pleasing to God and bearing fruit pleasing to God. What Jesus will say is, no, absolutely not. Nothing you do, no matter how well you know the law, no matter how kind you are, no matter how good you are, none of that fruit is what God wants unless that fruit comes through your attachment to the Messiah, to Jesus. Only through him can your life bear the kind of fruit that God intends. That's going to be the essence of Jesus' analogy this morning. So that for you and me, as we look at this passage, then the question, which is a simple question, but one very difficult for us to apply, the question to ask ourselves is real simple. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you day by day submitting your life to Jesus? Are you in his word not only to know it, but also to obey it? Are you coming before the Lord day by day, asking for strength through his spirit to bear the fruit that God desires us to bear? See, what we'll see is that when we're attached to the vine, that's the only place that life comes from. When we do not abide in the vine then we don't bear the fruit to the degree that God is calling us to. Are you and I abiding in Jesus? See, fundamentally, living a life that reflects the character of God the Father stems first from how deeply we're connected to Jesus. There is no other way, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not just a little bit that pleases God. You can do nothing apart from me, right? So are you and I abiding in Jesus, abiding in the vine day after day? What we'll see is what happens when you and I are attached to the vine as we walk through John 15. What are the characteristics that we will find in our lives and what are the things that God will do as we attach ourselves to the vine in order to fulfill God's purposes for our life to bear fruit that reflects him. First, when you're attached to the vine, here's what Jesus says, you will find life. Look back at verses one and two, and then uh, we'll look down at verse six as well. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, now go down to verse six. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, when I first read the passage, uh, what jumped out to me is Jesus doesn't just say, I am the vine. He actually says, I am the true vine. It's the only one of these I am statements where Jesus adds an adjective in front of the noun like that. I am the true vine. And of course, the question that popped into my mind was, if he's the true vine, then what is the false vine that he's contrasting himself to? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning here, the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament is referred to as a vine that God planted. In fact, it's said that on the doors of the temple in Jesus' day, there was an engraving of a grapevine to remind the people that they were supposed to be God's fruitful grapevine that would bear fruit. That imagery pops up all throughout the Old Testament and particularly in the prophets. But here's the problem. Uh, Every time you see it in the Old Testament, Israel is a bad vine. Every time you see it, they are a wild vine, an unfruitful vine, a vine that doesn't do what they're supposed to do, which is reflect the character of the vine dresser. So, for example, as you look at Ezekiel chapter 15, you'll see this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I set my face against them. Though they have come out of the fire, yet the fire will consume them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Thus I will make the land desolate because they have acted unfaithfully declares the Lord God, or they have acted falsely toward God. In other words, the idea is this, that uh, in contrast to Jesus, uh, Israel was an unfaithful and false vine. They had not done what God intended. And so the result is there would be judgment or burning. Jesus uses almost the same imagery in John chapter 15. The idea is that uh, the nation of Israel, if they are not attached to the Messiah, will be judged. And those individuals in the nation of Israel who believe they are God's vine, bearing fruit for God's kingdom, uh, they will be cast away and burned. Now, this, of course, happened to the nation of Israel several times in their history when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. And Ezekiel talks about that, that God would take the city of Jerusalem and cast it into the fire Uh, in A.D. 70. Under Rome, the the city of Jerusalem was burned. The temple was burned. And the idea is that God will judge the nation that is not properly attached to Jesus. And those individuals in the nation uh, who are not attached to Jesus, not only will they experience physical judgment and physical death, but there is an eternal death of separation from God that will accrue to anybody who doesn't trust in Jesus. Just as the vine dresser will look at the vine, and sometimes there are branches that appear to be attached to it, but internally they are not. They don't bear fruit, they're dead. It says he chops them off and he casts them into a pile, and they're burnt. See, the religious leaders believed they could be fruitful, believed that they could please God apart from Jesus, and Jesus says, no, that will lead to judgment if you reject the true and living vine. I couldn't help but think this week as I looked at this passage of 
uh, when you and I go and buy what we call fresh flowers at the grocery store. All of us have perhaps bought fresh flowers for a family member, a loved one, a significant other. And of course, I thought this is a brilliant business model that the flower industry has because you know what? As soon as you buy them, uh, they are already effectively dead, right? Uh, They have been cut off from the rose bush or the flower bush. And so no matter what you do, you can put them in water, you can give them plant food. No matter what you do, they will begin to wilt from the moment that you put them Uh, the moment that you cut them away from their bush, right? They are not alive. In fact, a a good bouquet of roses costs more than a rose bush that's alive that you can put in the ground. And I've often thought, you know, wouldn't it just be so much more efficient if when our significant other says, I would like some fresh flowers, you're able to say, hey, let's just go in the backyard and look at the bush. Maybe less romantic, okay? But much more practical, Because there's life. As long as those branches are attached to the source of life, it will continue to produce flowers. As long as a branch is attached to that vine, it will live. When it's cut off from the vine, it dies. And Jesus says those branches that believe they have life because of what they do, because they are ethnic Israel, will find unless they're attached to me, They will face the burning of judgment. But the good news is that Jesus offers life to all who trust in him as a free gift. He says, I'm the true vine. We saw this in John 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. As long as you know Jesus. Remember, we talked about a smartphone. As long as it's plugged into its power source, there is life. Jesus says, all who believe in me, in his death for our sins, his resurrection, we'll find life. All right, but beyond that, it's not just that we find life. It's also that we have the ability now to bear fruit. <clears throat> All who are attached to the vine now have the ability to bear fruit that is pleasing to God. Look at verses three through five. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, again, I, let me explain that for just a minute. What Jesus is saying is, if you have believed in my words, you already have been cleansed. You already have eternal life. Uh, This phrase goes back to John chapter 13. If you remember, John 13 is the last supper when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Peter objected and he said, now you, you shouldn't wash my feet. In other words, that's a job for a servant. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And so then Peter says, well, then just wash all of me, right? Wash my head, my hands, my whole body. And Jesus says, no, once you are clean, you just need to wash your feet, right? You're already clean because you have believed in me. You have eternal life. Now what you need is the ongoing relationship of abiding and cleansing that happens as day by day you submit yourself to what Christ wants to do in your life. Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. But then verse four, abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we looked at verse six, go down to verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, Very simply, what Jesus is saying is that the purpose of the branch is not simply to stay stuck on the vine and then do nothing else. The purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. When you plant a grapevine or you plant some kind of fruit tree, the whole reason you do it is so that you can get that fruit because the fruit ultimately is what it was planted for. And in Jesus' analogy, the idea is that you and I, yes, are given eternal life as a free gift, but the reason is so that we can glorify God the Father by bearing fruit that points straight back to the vine dresser. So he says, you're designed to bear fruit, and the only way you can do it is if you remain or abide in me. That's what you're for. In the book of Matthew, there's an interesting story about Jesus. Matthew chapter 21. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Now this, this passage is a bit of a head scratcher. You go, why did Jesus do that to the fig? Was he just really hungry and needed lunch? And so he's angry at the tree. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Uh, Again, the fig tree is an illustration throughout the Old Testament used of the nation of Israel. And what's the purpose of a fig tree? To bear fruit, to bear figs. If it's not doing what it is supposed to do, Jesus says, then it's useless. It might as well wither. It's not fulfilling its function in life. You and I are designed to bear fruit. I've mentioned uh, how I am horticulturally challenged. Several years ago, uh, I tried to grow strawberries in my backyard, and I planted a little strawberry plant in a little garden I had created, and I just, I was so excited about it. I had these images of coming into the house with a bushel full of red strawberries, right? My wife would kiss me, the children would hug me, and we'd sit down and eat fresh strawberries all week long, right? This was my dream. Well, I planted it, and I found that it was really tough to get this thing to grow, and not just to grow, but especially it was really tough to get it to produce any fruit. But after a few weeks, I noticed like one little strawberry starting to grow on this plant, and I was so excited. I don't, I, it was only one, but I was really excited about the possibility of having a strawberry, at least for a snack or something. And so uh, this thing began to grow as this little plant was working so hard and it just got bigger and I watered it and I tended to it and it got bigger and it started to turn red. And I looked at it one day and I thought, man, probably a couple of more days and I can get this strawberry and eat it and enjoy it. And then I came out the next morning and there was a possum eating my strawberry. And he had his mouth filled with my strawberry and it's like dripping down his face. And I walked up and he just kind of looked at me like, Thanks, man. And, you know, and kept eating. I, you know, I clapped and I yelled at him and I threw stuff. And he looked up and he just sort of ambled away like he was totally not afraid of me at all. Right. And I looked and my strawberry was gone. And I was so sad about that strawberry because why did I plant the plant? Not so I could have leaves. So I could have fruit. That was the whole reason I planted it in the first place. Right. And this is what Jesus is saying that ultimately You and I are planted, attached to the vine. So through Jesus, we bear fruit. And Jesus says, in fact, this brings the Father glory. When Jesus says in verse 7 that if you ask anything 
in my name. The Father will do it. He's not saying, look, if you want to win a volleyball game or have a million dollars or whatever it may be, God will do it. What he's saying is if you're attached to the vine and you want to bear fruit, then you ask for it in the name of Jesus and the Father will create the conditions in your life to bear fruit because that brings glory to him when you bear much fruit because you abide in him. That's why we're made. So that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control of the Father in heaven will be displayed in our lives. So eternal life is an absolutely free gift. But Jesus says, you're made to bear fruit, to bring glory to your Father in heaven. Verses 9 and 10, he's going to go on and encourage his disciples to abide in his love. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. How do you do that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The love of Jesus Christ in our lives motivates and empowers us to obey the Father. And as we obey the Father, as we bear that fruit, that glorifies the Father. So men and women can say, look, that is such a beautiful vine bearing beautiful fruit, they must have a fantastic vine dresser. When you see a grapevine that is bearing beautiful fruit, it testifies to the skill of the vine dresser. And Jesus says, that's what your life is intended to do. But you can only do that to the degree that you're attached to the vine. It is a difficult task. It's simple to talk about. Because the the things that we do to abide in the vine are not all that complex. We seek to know what Jesus commanded, right? We seek to know his word. We pray that God would give us strength through his spirit to bear fruit that reflects him. And then we obey. It's simple to talk about, exceedingly difficult to do. And the reason is because you and I are sinful. You and I are finite. You and I have parts of our heart, parts of our lives that are unfruitful, that are not conducive to bearing fruit, right? And so Jesus would say, look, if you're attached to the vine, you're going to find life. You can bear fruit, but there's something else, and that is this. You will be pruned. You will be pruned. Look at verse 2, particularly the second part of verse 2. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. In other words, the the branch is already bearing fruit. It's attached to the vine. It's doing pretty well, it thinks, right? But it says the father comes along and he will prune away those parts of the branch that prevent it from being as fruitful as it could be because the father's goal is not just that we bear a little bit of fruit, but that we bear all the fruit he wants us to bear and we are capable through the power of the spirit of bearing. Now, what you want with a grapevine ultimately is beautiful, uh, big clusters of grapes, right? I have some pictures of what it really should look like. This was taken at Messinahoff, the winery down the road, just last fall. Right, and they had a great year. You can see how big those clusters of grapes are. In fact, I was able to go down there last fall with my family and we, we would cut some of these clusters of grapes off of the vine and they're, they're huge. Because, why? Because the vine has been tended well. 
Now, at this time of the year, that fruit is not on the vine. In the spring, what they're doing primarily is they are getting the vine ready. So here's Mrs. Bonarigo uh, beginning to prune one of these grapevines. And you can see that some of those branches are really, really long. Right, but you don't want that grapevine investing all of its energy in growing long branches, do you? You actually want it investing its energy in grapes. And so you prune it so that it can invest its energy in growing fruit. Here's a closer picture of her actually pruning one of the branches. Very close, you can see, to the central vine. She actually cuts off most of that living branch so that the rest of it can bloom and grow fruit. And one of the things that I've heard her say is this, that the branches that are the most fruitful are the ones that are closest to the center of that vine. That's what Jesus is driving at. But in order for us to bear the fruit he wants us to bear, there's a pruning process involved. And that pruning process is often painful. Because you and I think that sometimes we, we hurt and we're discontent or we're unkind because of the people or circumstances in our lives, right? When in reality at times, God is, is pruning and shaping our hearts to ask the question, uh, will you be content without X, Y, and Z? Will you trust me if this thing in your life is not as you wish? Will you trust me and abide in me and obey me no matter what. And so he begins to prune away through our lives those parts of the branch, those parts of our lives that don't assist us in bearing fruit. And that process is painful. I know this morning that there are men and women in the room who right now you are feeling that pruning process happening in your life. Right, because you're in pain and you sense that you are being asked to trust the Lord in new ways, in difficult ways, and it's hard to do. And I know because there have been times throughout my own life, even in the past year, where I have felt the hand of God beginning to prune away some of my selfishness, discontent, and sin in ways that are, that are difficult and painful. Uh, one of my favorite book series that many of you have no doubt read is The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And one of the best books in the series is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a character in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader whose name is Eustace Scrub. And uh, at the very beginning of the book, C.S. Lewis writes, there once was a boy named Eustace Scrub and he almost deserved it. Right? And then he goes on to describe the rotten character of this boy. Right? He's selfish, he's greedy, he's boastful, he's whiny. Nobody wants to be around Eustace Scrub. Not even his cousins want to be around him, not even his family. Well, through a series of circumstances, Eustace finds himself in Narnia. He doesn't want to be there, but he's there with his cousins and they have an adventure. But at one point they land on an island and Eustace discovers a dragon's treasure. And he goes in and he begins to hoard this treasure. And in the process of hoarding the treasure, Eustace turns into a dragon, right? He develops scales and a tail and these claws. And he looks on the outside now like what he actually is on the inside. 
hard, difficult. People don't want to be around him. And although he has the treasure, he grieves that his greed and his sin have separated him from the other people on their voyage. He tries to tear off the skin and he can't tear it off. He tears off a layer of, of dragon skin. There's another underneath. Tears off a second one. There's another underneath. No matter what he does, he can't tear it off. And then at this point in the narrative, Aslan shows up. Aslan, of course, is the, the great lion who represents Jesus through all of the books. And as Aslan shows up, here's what he says to Eustace. He says, you will have to let me undress you. And Eustace said, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. I had turned into a boy again. You see what Eustace is getting at, that what C.S. Lewis is really telling us, is that uh, there is often sin and and discontent and lack of trust in our lives. And uh, we don't think it's that big, right? So we kind of try to peel it off on the surface, and what the father does when he prunes is he, he, he pierces all the way to the heart. And it hurts. But submitting to the process of pruning and discipline is the only way that we can bear all the fruit we're designed to bear. There is no other way. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so as painful as it is, we are called to submit to the father as he works this process of transformation in our lives. As you look at Hebrews chapter 12, the author will say this about the discipline of God. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's what God wants to work in our lives. Now, I mentioned over, over the course of my life, I've, I've had these moments where I've sensed God's hand in pruning my heart. Most recently, I'll tell you, last fall. There were struggles and, and challenges that, that I perceived uh, in my family. And the reality is the details of it don't make a huge difference because everybody in this room has faced these types of moments where you say, you know what, whether it's my marriage or my kids or my parents or whatever it is, uh, things are not like I want them to be. And you know what your initial reaction to that is, is why don't those people do everything differently? Right? Then I could be happy. Right? Maybe my problem is my wife or my kids or my coworkers. Maybe my problem is you, you guys in this room. Right? And, and as I began to, to feel this discontent and this sense of, of pain, 
what I began to be aware of was, was although it hurt, I, I just realized this is the hand of God in my heart to strip away elements of sin and discontent and pride that I didn't even know were there so that I can bear fruit that glorifies the Father, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you abide in the vine, when you continually submit your life, your attitudes, your actions to the direction of Jesus through the power of the Spirit as the Father works on that vine, you'll be pruned. That ultimately is meant to result in you and I fulfilling our purpose for which God made us to bear fruit. And and the great news is this, that Jesus is going to go on to say, when you are attached to the vine, not only do you find life and bear fruit and you will be pruned, but then lastly, he says, you will find joy. I love how Jesus ends the passage in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Right Throughout the book of John, Jesus will talk about this concept over and over and over again, that the fullness of joy, the fullness of life is found when you and I are submitting to God's purposes for us, and when you and I are bearing the fruit, living the life that he is calling us to live. And all of that happens as we're attached to the vine. And the immediate question we often have is, well, how can I be joyful when nothing around me seems to be going the way I want it? How can I be joyful? And what Jesus says is because joy comes itself from being attached to that vine. The source of life, the source of joy is Jesus himself. Joy comes from knowing I'm attached to Jesus. And no matter what's happening in my life, I have the privilege of reflecting the Father. And so you and I have the privilege of a day-by-day ongoing relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, so we can fulfill our purpose for our lives. That's why God made us. We are called for His purposes. As I read verse 11, I don't know why this week, but I happened to think about our dog that we have at home. We have this dog who is part Australian shepherd and probably part lab. And uh, he's a nice dog, but he is very needy just on an emotional level. Uh, He always has to be around us. So I come home sometimes and he immediately, and he's, you know, he's pretty big. He's like 50 pounds and he always wants to be kind of up on me. You know, he's got to lick me. He's got to sit next to me. He'll put his paw kind of right here on your chest. And he's got these pretty good nails, you know, so he'll kind of dig in and I'm always going, you know, cowboy, just kind of give me some space. Like I like you, but I can't engage right now with this. Okay. So I started reading, like, how can I help this dog to not do this? And here's what I figured out. He, you know, like I mentioned, he's probably a largely Australian shepherd. These dogs are actually, the, the thing I read said, these dogs need a job, right? They have to have something to do. Now, there's not a whole lot for him to do in our house, right? He can't wash the dishes. He can't really make the food. There's just not a whole lot that he can do. Uh, they're used to having something to do like uh, shepherd animals, you know, or something like that. They, they're used to being ranch dogs. Well, my dog doesn't have that opportunity, Somebody actually told me between services that they knew a person who had one of these dogs that actually bought a little rabbit so their dog could just herd it around the yard all day long, right? 
so he'd have a job to do. And then they'd lock the rabbit up at night outside and then let it out again so the dog could do this all day long and have a job. And I thought, what a great analogy. As long as I realized, here's the deal. My dog has problems because he's just bored, right? He's not living his life like he was meant to live his life. And essentially, Jesus is saying this, as long as you and I uh, refuse to abide in the vine, as long as you and I refuse to let God do his work, as long as we resist it, we will not live for the purposes that he has called us to live for and we'll be frustrated and discontent and we won't bear the peaceful fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the spirit that Galatians calls us to because God is saying to us, I designed you to know me and reflect me. And the only way to do that is to attach yourself to Jesus and allow me to do my work in your heart, even when it hurts. And he says, I promise, I say this to you so that my joy can be in you and your joy will be full because joy comes from knowing him and being found in him. So the question then that we return to is, again, are we abiding in him? Are we day by day, moment by moment, abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus. The ways that we accomplish that are, are pretty simple, but they are difficult to do in a way that is dependent upon him, right? Know the word of God. Read the word of God. Know his commands. If you're going to obey his commands, you need to read them and understand them and, and, and seek to obey them and then ask God not only for strength, but also for understanding to know what it is he says. In other words, it's not just about knowing God's word because the Pharisees knew God's word. They knew it better than anybody. They even did a lot of it better than anybody. But what they did not do was humbly submit their lives to Jesus and say, only in him will I bear fruit. And then through him, we obey his commandments. Right? You think, man, that's, that's so simple. Right? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You learned that song. I learned that song when we were three years old. Right? So easy to sing. So tough to do. To say, day after day, I will abide in the vine. Because apart from him, I can do nothing. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, and every moment in between, I will submit my thoughts and words and actions to his direction. I'll understand what his word is telling me to do. I will ask God to help me do it, and then I'll obey. Are you and I abiding in him to bear the fruit in our lives that will draw men and women to see the glory of our vine dresser, God the Father, and the beauty of the vine, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. We're convicted by it because we confess that we resist your Spirit's work in our hearts. We want to have our lives be under our own control. We want to believe that we can bear fruit on our own that will please God because the process of abiding and the process of submission to your work. It's hard and painful and scary. Father, I pray that we would submit to you. Pray for each of us in this room who who finds ourselves going through a process of character pruning. I pray give us strength to bear up under it and the ability to submit to your will. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
God bless you. Have a wonderful week.